Today on Navigating Change, we bring you a conversation with Dr. Ricardo San Martin, visiting professor at the Sutarja Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology at UC Berkeley. Our conversation centers around the idea of teacher as learner and what it takes to shift from being an expert transferring knowledge to navigating conversations and learning with our students. This new way of being has opened the door for Ricardo to recapture a joy in his teaching. Whether or not you're faculty, this will help you better understand how the classroom experience is evolving thanks to the enthusiasm of educators like Professor St. Martin. We hope you find the story of his journey over the next half hour as powerful as we do. Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. We're talking about teaching today, in particular, what it takes to teach in a transformational way. What does it mean to present that teacher as learner and our learners as teachers? We're going to unpack that today with our special guest. Ricardo San Martin is an entrepreneur in chemical and biological sciences. He's a professor of entrepreneurship and innovation and a visiting scholar at the Sutarja Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology at University of California, Berkeley. He's with us today to dissect the changing nature of the classroom in higher education and the role we serve as educators in preparing our students for the future. Welcome to Navigating Change, Professor. Thank you very much, Pete. Hello, Howard. How are you? Hello. I'm Good great. You again. Uh, I met Ricardo at a conference that we were both in and got a chance to listen to what he's been doing in his work at Berkeley. And Ricardo, I was so struck by one of the few comments you said at the end was how much you have recaptured your love of teaching. I was so leaned in to think about what does that mean and how do you get there? So tell us a little bit about what that is for you at this point. How, how does that show up in your life? Well, that's, um, I think that's central to what I have been doing in recent years now at, at Berkeley because um, I've been a teacher for over 30 years now. And um, most of my time I have spent it in classical chemical engineering, normal stuff, professor of thermodynamics. And that's been a fruitful career. But the thing is, I noticed in, in the last years, I have, lo- have lost part of my, of my passion in teaching. I like it still, but I, I was losing it. So the central idea is that I became again a learner, but not a learner isolated learner. I became a learner with my students. So we decided to face topics that we don't know exactly where they're going to take us. And my role has been to organize in the classroom that learning environment where we we all declare ourselves beginners. And that's taking me, I mean, to a totally new direction. I'm, I'm really fascinated. I'd like you to say a few words for our listeners about what it is that they're learning about plant-based meat. Can you say just a few things about the world that they're exploring with you? You know, when when we posted this class in the curriculum, people just jumped on it. I mean, the section was immediately full, but no one knew exactly what we were signing into. So our task was to develop the next generation of tasty, affordable, plant-based meat. It was very specific. It was like meat. It was meat. Right. So, but we allowed ourselves like the first five weeks of the class just to learn. And so we invited about 10 of the 20 best experts that are around, both from academia, 
companies, chefs, manufacturers of the machinery used by these companies, venture capitalists in this space, all of them. And they came and they told us their story. And it seemed like, first, it's very complicated. You know, we learned that it's very complicated and it needs a lot of technology and knowledge and scientific knowledge. So you cannot improvise. I mean, you can declare yourself really in favor of plant-based meat and you think it's a cool idea, but another story is to make that thing. So that was our first realization. And the second was that some companies had the right approach and some companies, you know, didn't have the right approach. And the students realized that very early in the class. So there was room for improvement. Another thing that striked a lot of the students was that this was a very closed space. It's not like AI where, you know, or robotics where it's, it's more like an open space and people built on each other's, you know, algorithms and things. Here, it's like there are a few companies with over $100 million funding and they're not going to tell you how they're, they're going to tell you what they're doing, but not how and they're how. doing. No, no, no recipes. And no recipes, not, not much patents out there really in-house information. And, and that makes the space very, very complex for any other you know, um, person to enter that sp space, like a new company. You really have, a, have a strong funding. I'm, I'm very curious about that from a personal uh, uh, level, because I mean, there is this, there, there seems to be two impacts. One is how it has allowed you to rekindle the spirit of your interest in teaching. And the other is what it has allowed you to, to become capable of in the classroom and changing your relationship with your students. Uh, be before we dig into the classroom, would you reflect just, just for a moment on, on how th that change has allowed you to rekindle your interest in teaching, your passion? And you notice for some time that, especially with the new times, with the internet, I mean, that I, my role was more of an explainer and an explainer of things that didn't really don't need any explanation. The students can dig in the same concepts I can. I don't, I don't see why I have to sort of explain them things they can get firsthand. So that, that was my first realization. And then from there, I moved to say, for me to get a lot of fun is if I'm learning something new. How about if I just move from keep on explaining things that probably don't need in these days any explanation to moving to becoming someone that is exploring a new topic, honestly, from scratch with the students. I do have more experience than them. I can guide them in certain moments, but I don't want to be the explainer. So we all get different interpretations faced to what we see in the class, what we listen, what we explore together. And then the conversation enriches much more. I don't hold the truth anymore. <laughs> yeah. so, so just, Pete, hey, think about yeah. that. You know, just the power of recognizing the value you have with all of your experience, with all of your knowledge is to step back and recognizing two things. One, that on some level, there, there's this whole domain of being a beginner and then being a beginner with others who truly are beginners in many ways, not living in the world and they're sort of still in their educational, their early educational path. And you giving them permission to, to recognize that being a beginner is something that continues in our lives. Because I think for, the, for many of us, we fall out of that beginner mindset especially if you've got a doctorate in a certain discipline, you can fall into this mood of, I have the answers and I have to sort of maintain that kind of air of, of thinking that I can provide something that you don't have. And it sounds to me, Ricardo, like you have 
made a fundamental shift to thinking about what it is to engage with students. And it's that idea that I've I've heard written about and I talk about that Gloria Flores writes about, which is this idea of learning to learn, that you're engaging with them in this learning to learn way of being in the world. What are some of your colleagues' reactions to when you share yourself from this place? I mean, do you have some that have not made the switch that are in your life without naming names. Right, of course. <laughs> but I think there are a couple of things there. One is that I am in the Center for Entrepreneurship at Berkeley. So many things are allowed there that are not allowed in the traditional you know, department where I normally taught. Only. Like, for, for example, what's not allowed in a traditional undergraduate? Well, department? you have a very strict curricula of certain knowledge that you have to pack into the heads of the students and I'm going to make a generalization here, but you normally think you're in a position of much more knowledge or understanding of wisdom or whatever in front of a student. He will become that way when he, he is your age or has your experience. But before that, I can, you know, I am the reference for him. That's the normal way, right? Yeah. I am generalizing. I'm not saying everyone does it that no. way. There are many professors that learn a lot with his, their graduate students. They're in a learner mode all their lifetime. You know, they do a lot of research and they're always learning. But when it comes to teaching a class, especially a fundamental class, that's the way you do it. You, you, you have a whole journey planned for the student. You don't discover the journey together. I mean, I think on some level, tell me if you agree, that mindset is also self-imposed. Yes, it's historical. You know, that's the way things been going on for for maybe centuries. So why changing that? The problem is, is today the way knowledge and discoveries are evolving, we have never faced that speed of change in the past. Unless you tune yourself to the learner again to the learner mode, you will be always behind. And learning on your own all the new stuff is quite hard. I mean, almost impossible. So you, you cannot surf the internet on your own all the time. You know, it's, you need partners to do that. Yes. What, if anything, do you have to give up to make that mental shift? A bit of arrogance, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean, um, I think it helps a lot when you talk to the students. Let's say you go and talk to them and, and let them speak freely and, and, and know about their interest and know how prepared they are and how curious they are to learn already. You know, you don't need to force them or anything. If you just need to guide them in the right direction. So, so the job is creating that learning space more than design it before without any knowledge of, of the students you're going to teach. So I think it's fundamental to know the students, to get to know them, to talk to them before, and then you will be surprised how much they bring to the table. It seems to me there's a freedom. As I listen to you and the spirit of, of joy and recapturing your love of teaching, there's a certain freedom in teaching this way. Of course. Yeah, no, I, feel, I feel great because you can be, you know, teaching or discovering new thing has such an uncertain world, the world you don't know. In my personal case, it touches poetry, it touches art, it touches other things that, you know, the traditional engineering, tough way of teaching doesn't mention. I mean, it's, it's, let's say it's not allowed. But this, with this freedom, I can, I, can, I can do so many things in the class. You know, we can bring play into the class. We can bring games into the class. We can bring, bring an artist into the class. And, and all that adds, you know, to, 
to the human experience. This cannot, you cannot teach engineering isolated from the human, the overall human experience. For some students, I would imagine they quickly dive in and they get it. And for others, it's an adjustment. Did you see that in the way that you would be in there, you know, teacher or student, uh, where some really jumped all over it and others struggled more with it? Yeah, for sure. Because some students, when I declare that I was beginner in this space, they were surprised, but not surprised in the good way. They say, why is this guy teaching us? You know, <laughs> who, I mean, at Berkeley, I mean, why, who, who, who appointed this guy a professor at Berkeley? I mean, very few really jumped from the beginning. They were, I had a lot of skeptics in the class. Mm. I said, when they asked me, so, so who, what are our resources to deal with all this new thing of, I mean, I'm teaching this class on plant-based meat, which happens to be like the first really world university effort to teach this new subject. So they asked me, what are the resources we're going to have? And I say, you are the resources. We are the resources. Berkeley is the resource, the Bay Area, you know, Silicon Valley, I don't know, the world, right? But don't look at me if you don't know something. You can ask me a question and I can try to find with you the answer. That's another story. Talk about Pete preparing them for the real world, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what you're preparing them for. This is a this is a metaphor for what it is to have to show up in the real world and work in a team, and having nobody handing you here's the roadmap that you were well, designing the roadmap. Yeah, and I, I can't get but it can't help but think more and more about this idea of of entitlement in the classroom. Right, students come with a certain entitlement and expectation, especially as as the demographics are changing. Their expectations are just feed me so I can go get a job, and uh, you know, being encouraging them to change their expectations, not just of how they learn, really forces them to change their expectations of who they are and how they relate to the world. I'm curious though, um, uh, Ricardo, how does this approach impact assessment? How do you assess their work when you are also a learner? What, what does that look like? An overall view of, of what, what was in a way shared in the class. So the first weeks we invited, I would say half of the world experts to tell us their stories in the class. And we were all sitting there. So, but, but I maybe because of my experience or age or whatever, I could see like the overall picture in, in, in a holistic way where, where we were going. And then, so I knew what our starting point was for all teams. Then most of the assessment in, is done in teams. So, so the students do write blogs and they reflect, and that's great. The reflection on the learning process, I think, is a key part of our, what we call the Berkeley method of entrepreneurship. So they reflect after two classes or so. What, they are, what are they learning? What they don't agree with? What the things their gaps are? And then we, we ask them to do teamwork constantly. And they have to present, do mini presentations and then big presentations in front of venture capital and all that. And that's what is great. It's the ability to cope with uncertainty, their ability to spot gaps in a system that probably most of the speakers showed to us that it didn't have any gaps, that everything was perfect. We know we had all this, you know, famous companies that are dealing in the space of plant-based meat. Okay. But so we had to dig a little bit more what they were saying, dig deeper and say what they're not saying. And I think that's the way we grade them. 
But in general, this is not a class where unless you really misbehave and you don't come, <laughs> you're going to flunk or not get a good grade. But mm. the, you don't need even to say that because the, the students are so engaged that they all show up. They all like their teamwork. They all like to collaborate. So what kind of receptivity or reactions are you getting from your peers? I think, Howard, my peers are all, I would say, trailblazers. <laughs> the Center for Technology and, and, and Entrepreneurship at, at Berkeley, really, we are all handpicked in a way that we sort of work similarly. Mm. So we're all very happy. You know, and uh, but what is more striking is that the comments around campus, how this kind of teaching is showing away. People say, oh, are you the guy teaching the plant-based meat? Oh, I've heard great things, you know, from the students, not from me, because I don't know you, but from the students. So the students are engaging other students. But also, you know, the director of the center, Professor Sidhu and Ken Singer, which is the co-director, they don't ask me something specific I have to do. They want a great learning and teaching experience. Yeah. That's what they want, you know? And, and I am the one that have to organize all that. I don't get any, you know, guidelines and this is the way you have to do it. Once in a while, you know, my peers come to the class and sit there and share with the students and, and, and talk to them to, to be sure that, you know, we are all having fun. But what are you noticing is showing up and experimenting this way? In the way students are learning, are, are you seeing something different emerging for students as a result of the way you're, you're conducting the program? It's obvious. I mean, it's like the engagement they have, the, the, um, besides just going to class, I mean, everything that they're doing around the topic. I would say 10% of the class got internships this summer to work in companies that are related to, to plant-based meat. And I didn't have a clue that they were doing that. They engage directly with the with the speakers, with the professors that came to talk to us. They mm. they just ask for the email and they write directly. They 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 start a conversation of on their own on the topic. They don't need me in the middle of it, right? So so that's that's very powerful, because then what it will happen is that in a few years they will be the experts. And they will share with the new students. So we are creating, you know, in, in a new field, uh, a group of friends that will enrich yeah. this conversation even more. This is not just a question of what of, of what you're doing in this entrepreneur class, but it it is a question of how do students leave your class and change the way they engage in their next class as a result of how you have encouraged them and and sort of enculturated them to learn they will probably set this class aside a little bit like an entrepreneurial class and they will go because many students are from economics or computer science or biology they're not expecting to have the same experience they had in, in my class for sure they do regret if they don't have teamwork and some degree of discovery in each of a traditional class because that's what they are after they are great discoverers. They, they can discover now. There's means of discovering, which are well, relevant see, I, to see, I love what you're saying here, because I think what you're revealing too, it doesn't have to wait for the whole practice of how we teach undergraduates. What you're, what you're teaching them is how to develop skills where they can do their own investigation. What you're teaching them is if you really want to explore and learn, give yourself this certain freedom, and you're teaching them how to explore. Exactly. That's very well said. And I would even say more. I would say the grad students I had 
they were a little bit more rigid than the young guys. You know, the 20-year-old guys, they had some adjustment first, you know, to adjust what kind of class they were taking. But once we explained them very well that they were the protagonists in this class and, uh, and it was up to them to make it great, it requires a lot of time, though. You know, I mean, it requires engaging with them, going to dinner with the speakers. When the speakers came, we invited the students to. So we created after our activities. So we got to know each other better. So everyone felt very committed. We realized after week number one that we were the first ever class in the world about this subject at the university. We didn't know that when we, we yeah, started. And, and I know, you know, if you, if you go search on your name and Berkeley yeah. and this topic, this became yeah. uh, a pretty big topic in, in the yeah. media. Right. So now we, we decided to do it again because we haven't solved the problem, right? <laughs> We're still there. So, but now we are thinking how to scale this, you know, how to engage more, you know, companies, how to create like a movement around that. And, uh, and, uh, and because there, there we, there's clearly a space there to, for Berkeley to take the lead in, the, in this area. So, so we are teaching it again um, in fall semester. What's now present for you that you want to take forward in your work? I think first is what we started with, this re-enchantment myself with teaching you know mm -hmm. with being with students with learning with students that that's i i treasure that a lot i mean this and i i told the students this was the best the best class i've ever learned yeah because <laughs> so that's um that's something um i'm taking with me the second thing i'm thinking is is this idea of resting on on your laurels that really uh, can not kill you but make you age faster so, <laughs> so i yeah. think that, that's and and the third is it's really as a father you know this this kind of learning with young people i mean i take it to my family and uh, i do a lot of hands-on research on my topics which are botanical extracts this happiness or joy i have of what has been going on with my teaching has been transferred to my research. And I would say the last month, I've been more productive than in the last 10 years, probably. You know, mm. I become a discoverer again. I question everything I do and I push myself. It's, it's amazing. Why it's, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, I'm in a state of mind to discover things. I have discovered the last three weeks things I've never discovered before. And they were just sitting in front of me. But at the undergraduate level, there is this constant challenge to face the question, uh, you know, what do we as students possibly have to contribute to, for example, another reading of Death of a Salesman, right? It is, you know, that's what I think I'm trying to challenge. When you look at the, when you say, you know, we, we have to to present an air of discovery, uh, I, I'm, I want to create a culture of the, in the classroom that is, um, there is always more to say about great uh, great works, even if they're already on the roadmap, even if it's foundational, even if it's algebra. What can you discover in seventh grade math that is, is you know, how do you create that culture? And that's, uh, that's what I think we can, uh, at least for me, that I can take away from my own teaching is, is you know, rethink my, uh, my approach to the spirit of discovery in the classroom, even to foundational material, because I think there's a lot of room to grow there. You know, you learn something, I learn something. There's five different people 
And if we look at the same topic, we have a different lens. And then when we speak it, we, in a sense, help something emerge that wasn't, that did not exist until it got spoken. And that to me is what the power of recognizing this for students at the undergraduate level that the world lives, when you enter the workforce, when you enter the world after school, the traditional, you're 22 or whatever, you're going to find yourself needing to learn to work with others. And because, as you said, Ricardo, things are moving so quickly that we can't rest on what we know. We got to really think of ourselves as continuous explorers. And that is something that I, th- I don't think we're trained that way to think in when we're growing up. I want to I add one more thing, uh, one more observation. It was about 18 years ago I was involved in a, in a project to, uh, you know, adjust our entire sort of graduate curriculum around PBL, right, project-based learning. And, and that was supposed to be the great panacea of, of education in the classroom. Everybody's going to be on a team and they're all going to be working on a project and they're, it's going to be cross-disciplinary and that's going to be this beautiful thing. But I think the challenge that we had in, in really making that successful is that we never approached it from the perspective, per, this perspective of the faculty as being another learner along for the ride. And, and part of mm. the, the I, I think, you know, Ricardo, you forcing yourself into that role of saying, hey, I'm, I'm on this boat too, and we're all going to explore together. It, it's sort of peak PBL, right? It's, it's, this is the ultimate chance to discover what it means to engage this classroom in ideal project-based learning, um, you know, constraints and circumstances. Yeah, I think that we also give them in class, you know, some nuggets, but they have to be in context. So when we talk to them about the power of conversations, which we do when we use the, the work of Fernando Flores there, we, we say that when we know already they have been some, you know, they have been working in teams and, and they have been exploring together. Then when, we, when I see them that they're totally connected with an idea and they just because they have worked the last three weeks on that idea and they just don't want to let it go. So then we, we play a very important song for the class, which is Let It Go from Frozen. <laughs> so, oh, yes. Frozen? Of course. Okay. So I'm everyone comes up and I we love it. let it go. And we say, we are not going to be prisoners of our previous decisions, guys. We are going to let it go. So oh, my we goodness. We liberate from that. So we play the music, we show the, the movie, and they stand up and they sing, let it go. And they will always remember that. Right? Oh, they will remember that. <laughs> yeah, because now we say, okay, we will let it go. Yeah, sure, you let that you one will. go. Yeah. It's funny what you remember, you know, 30 years from now, we'll go back to your students and they're going to say, yeah. well, so what you got out of Berkeley? And they said, they sang, let it go. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're going to remember. Right. So, yeah, so there, there are many things, you know, that really, especially for entrepreneurship, you borrow them from social sciences. You know, you, you, it's not about technology or knowledge. Yes. I mean, they right, know right. their stuff. I mean, they, they are brilliant, brilliant kids. But they, this communication uh, skills that they need to have, all of that, it's borrowed from, you know, how they control their emotions, how they navigate their emotions, because they, they run into despair. I mean, all this uncertainty from the class, it's a lot of fun, but it's also, I mean, you have to hand things in, you have to do presentations and they just cannot get it right. They know they, they're not getting it right. They present also in front of not only the panels, but before in front of the other students and they don't get a good feedback, you know, from their peers in the class. So they know they're not 
getting it right. And they go into despair. They just feel that they have to drop the class or something like that. You have to teach them or show them the way out of those negative emotions. So it, there's a lot of nuggets. And I, I would say the power, it's the context. You teach that or you show them that when that is going on. If yes. you have a disagreement between the, in the team, you have to teach them some ways out of that disagreement so you know that the whole thing doesn't break down. If I teach that the first day or totally right. isolated, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it goes right. one ear and out of the other ear. It has to be when I know it's gone on. So, so That's I have right. To have, you know, the feeling for how the class is doing. You know, yeah, whether, whether very good. That's a really good lesson is that yeah. we could try and teach something pre- prematurely, but a better way is when they hit a wall and you introduce something, then they have the context for how to get through it. So when they hit resignation, you could talk about resignation all you want, but when they're in the middle of it and then you give them some tools to deal with it, then they can navigate through it. You know, for people who are interested, and I know there will be people interested, (laughs) where can they go learn more about your class? I think they will have to Google the Sotarja Center for Entrepreneurship at the I will do the work. I will do the work yeah, for them. Yeah. I will Google I the Satarja Center. There, there, if you look there, there are some, we have blogs around the class and we have some short videos that we recorded while we were teaching the class. And so there's more information there about what we are doing in the plant-based space. And, and, uh, and, um, and we're going to expand this. I mean, our plans are yeah. to expand this program so it becomes more significant at the campus level. Uh, I will put all of the links that I can dig up that are appropriate right. in our show notes. So in your podcast uh, player of choice, everybody just swipe over to your show notes and you'll see links in the uh, links and notes section down below. I cannot thank you enough, Ricardo, because I think that this is a this is a topic that's not just relevant for academia. It's it's relevant for anybody that's in a position to work with others as a leader. And how do you shepherd people? How do you think of yourself as a leader, but from the point of view of you're also a follower? You know, that's the language we often find ourselves in in administration. How do you not necessarily lead from front, but how do you treat yourself as part of the team and also recognize that you're learning along the way and doing it together. So there's so many great life lessons in the way that you're doing it. And I think you're doing it in an area that has so much inertia that, you know, 300 years of history, just even in this country, let alone going back even further. So you are you are helping change culture. And uh, I'm very appreciative of what you're doing and for people to be uh, getting more of your message. So hopefully we'll have you on again. And I look forward to visiting you on campus sometime. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. You know, I just have to add, anybody who uh, finds the fatigue of teaching after many decades and also finds inspiration is inspiration to me, too, as a faculty member. So thank you so much for sharing that story. Uh, And uh, it's it's great to have you here, Ricardo St. Martin. Uh, On behalf of Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We certainly appreciate your time and attention. And uh, you can find out more about us. Uh, well, we'll be back next week right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. Mm-hmm.